right on. Hello and Hello, welcome to the For We Are Many podcast. We have intro music now. <laughs> Thank you for that. That was pretty dope. All right, so uh, welcome to the current event stream. My name is Rob. And my name is Trisha. And we tonight are- we're going to talk to you about some of the things that are that we see going on, going on in the world around us that we feel it's important to talk about. Indeed. Uh, also, for example, current event stream. <laughs> oh man. You know, we, we love our awkward, weird intros. Here we are. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so we're going to be talking about a few things tonight. We're going to circle back to <clears throat> the ever-rampant labor shortage, wage shortage. Wage. Uh, and, and with that, we'll be talking about strikes and we'll be talking about supply chain issues because it all ties together. Uh, It all comes down to they don't want to pay us. Any of us. They don't even want to pay up to get supplies that are absolutely necessary for everyone. Um, And I'm not totally sure if I'm saying it right, but we have some good news um, for the indigenous people of Oregon. Um, The occupied state of Oregon. I should say, but the, the Silence River um, Confederation of Indigenous Tribes um, has, has made some pretty significant, they, they've won some pretty significant grants um, that will allow them to uh, save the river and in turn save the salmon. So that's pretty exciting, and we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get there. Um, and then we've also got <clears throat> Cuba. Of course, you know they're right off our shores, and they're commies, so they're always they're always on the stream, aren't they? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, we've talked about vaccination in Cuba a few times, but uh, they have hit one hundred percent with the first dose, and from the sounds of it, pretty damn close to one hundred percent with the second dose. So that's significant. Um, Absolutely. I'm also not sure how much info is available about the plans between Cuba and China for Cuba's involvement of China's Belt and Road Initiative. Um, But if we're able to find anything, then we'll talk about that more, too. Um, And last but not least, um, I'm not sure how much we're going to talk about it. It depends on if Mako shows up tonight. Um... I think we might have started a little late for him, though. Possibly, yeah. Um, If not, it'll just be a short thing touching on it because I want Mako to be the one that ultimately talks about it. But the Battle of the Wabash. We recently had Mako on to talk about uh, Elahi Spirit Runner's uh, 300 direct actions. Well, direct action number 300 is the anniversary of the Battle of the Wabash. So, um, yeah, 
again, I'd like I'd like to have him dive deeper into it, but we can at least talk about what happened at the battle. Um, right. According to Wikipedia, it's the one of the most humiliating defeats that the U.S. Army has ever faced, and it was the biggest by Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Huge success there, and them stopping them from moving further into indigenous territories at the time. Right. Uh, which one do you want to talk about first, Trisha? You pick. Um, hmm. Let's stop. Let's uh, dive into the vaccinations in Cuba here. Because okay. that, that one has me really intrigued because they started their vaccinations months after we did. May 7th they started. Yeah. So, you know, they've they've caught up and superseded where we're at very, very quickly. Um, I've got an article up here from Grandma. Um, Before you dive into that, I just want to take a brief moment to talk about their overall um, vaccination numbers. I'm going to share that with you. Um, So... The most recent is October 29th, um, which is obviously out of date anyway, because but more it's than still 80... a few, It's a few days earlier than the numbers quoted in here from the 24th. Cool. Right on. Um, I think that the dose amounts are right, but there's no way that only 87% of the Cuban population is vaccinatable. Um so I tend to think that these numbers aren't the best, but they, they do come third hand from our world and data. Um, so, I mean, that, that could be the lag there, but uh, this is showing 63.7% fully vaccinated and that's with a three shot uh, regimen. Yeah. So as we were saying, we started vaccinating. Was it right before or right after Christmas? Right around that time. Yeah, it was It was either like a couple days before or a couple days after. But the point mm-hmm. is, we started almost six months ahead of them. They didn't start till May 7th. And their current vaccination rate is 63.7% fully vaccinated on a three-shot regimen. Here... In America, we are sitting, and pretty much have been for quite a while, at 58%, 58.4% right now. We've been in the upper 50s for weeks. Right. Uh, 58.4% fully vaccinated right now, and that's with a two-shot or even a one-shot. Right. Participation matters, people. (laughs) But, you know... People talk about reaching herd immunity, and the only way that's actually going to be possible is with a shit ton more people taking part. Um, Right. uh, This says here that 100% of Cuba's eligible population has received at least the first dose, um, thanks to an intense mass immunization campaign. Uh, according to the Ministry of Public Health, as of October 24th, it was 
148 Cubans have been administered at least one dose, 808,197 had received the second dose, and 6,744,499 of them have had the third dose. So a total of just over 7 million Cubans have gotten, you know, the full three doses, 62.8% of the population. In uh, yeah. the, the updated numbers were what? As of a few uh, days? 63.7 as of the 29th. Okay. So look at that. In a few days, they already went up, you know, nine-tenths of a percent of their population. And we've been stagnant for weeks. Um <laughs> Yeah, we went up point one pretty much. Right. Yeah, we went up on three last week. Damn. And I mean, it was in the fifty sevens for for almost all of October. Right. So, they're even going at a few times faster than we are. Even just catching. well, actually, let me let me bring this back up and show this. Okay. Okay. So, like, you see, you see how like we started off strong and then we leveled out back in May. And I don't know. I'm just... seeing myself, not the chart you're looking at. Am I not <laughs> oh, my bad. It's all good. There it is. I I can just leave it like that. That works. Anyway, so you see how like. We started off strong, and then about May, we just tapered off right about 37%. Yeah. And then yeah. it slowly crapped up. Slow, yeah. yeah. Look at that. Right. There's jumped. They're, they were all like, yeah. Yeah, let's get this. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I mean, part of it is simply how they're going about administering it. They talked about a massive vaccination campaign. They're not kidding. Like the doctors are right. and nurses and whoever else are administering the vaccines are literally going from house to house in every neighborhood. Like you don't have to, I mean, you do set up an appointment. Yes. But you don't have to like leave your house. Right. Don't have to find a store with it available and schedule out a couple weeks ahead of time because they're so backed up. <laughs> Anywho. That's that's one thing I find funny too, because you know, they've got a couple of different forms available. We've got a handful of them, and you know, there's stuff like uh certain certain pharmacies running out of specific ones where, you know, their only option is to give you like one of the handful available. And so people, at least I have seen some of that. People are going, okay, I'll take what I can get, you know? Um, right. Um, I, I just want to interject real quick. I know it's totally off topic with Cuba, but I just found out that a motel in Phoenix is slated to become a facility to house homeless seniors. Uh, we talked a lot in the early days of this show about, was it Austin? Uh, put the money, Austin, Texas, put the money into opening a former motel as a homeless shelter. And it was yeah. so successful that the city bought another one and did it again. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
Phoenix is doing it. So that's exciting. Hell yes. Glad to hear that. Um, Sorry. Anyway, uh, what was the other thing about Cuba? I I was scrolling that page. There's only one more paragraph here. Um, That a total of 25 million plus doses have been administered of the Cuban vaccines Abdallah from the Center for Genetic Engineering and Biotech as well as the Silverana 2 and Silverana Plus from the Finlay Vaccine Institute. Um, Cuba has the highest percentage of its population vaccinated with at least a first dose and leads the vaccination rate in the world. Um, was also a global pioneer in organizing an anti-COVID-19 immunization campaign for children and adolescents from 2 to 18 years of age thanks to which more than 2 million children and adolescents have already received their second dose of the Sovereign 2. So, which is what Sobrana means for anybody who doesn't speak Spanish. It means Sovereign. I think that's kind of cool too. I dig that. So anyway, kudos to Cuba. I'm getting shit done. Oh, yeah. Um, I am Googling real quick about uh, trying to find information on the BRI, and I was hoping to find uh, something from Cuba, but I'm only seeing Um, stuff from China. Well, give me a second to scroll through uh, the headlines here in Grandma, and I'll see if I can find anything. Well, this is... This appears to be, never mind, this is like a, there's better sources than that. It loaded and it didn't look all that <laughs> reputable. I'm just like, yeah, moving on. Um, but yeah, it's uh, being reported through some Chinese media um, from Havana. So they have a source in Cuba, at least. Maybe the the author is in Cuba. But Cuba and China have identified three areas to enhance bilateral ties within the framework of the Belt and Road Cooperation, a senior Cuban official said Tuesday. Alberto Blanco, general director... Director General, sorry, of Asia and Oceania at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, told Xinhua that Cuba proposed joint efforts focusing on, oh my God, I called this shit, renewable energy, cybersecurity, technology, and biotechnology. I called that. Oh, yeah. Um... Blanco said biotech is a strategic sector for both countries since it combines innovation as well as research and development of pharmaceutical products. And, um, I mean, ultimately, if China is bankrolling Cuba's pharmaceutical system, they're going to be... I mean, if if they bankroll it like it should be, I mean, look at what they've done with zero money. They've put doctors on the ground in every fucking country. Right. Now imagine if they can equip those several thousand doctors on the ground in every fucking country except for the U.S. 
which by the way that's that's not because they won't do it either they offered to send a brigade of doctors after hurricane katrina and the bush administration said no even though even though they probably would have been there on a cuban ship in fucking less time than it took fema to get a semi truck of water out there right because it only takes a few hours to make that boat ride just saying we're talking 90 miles. Well, from Florida, but Katrina was in Louisiana. Or, oh, yeah. So add a few So more probably a hours. day, though. Not, not <laughs> yeah. 10 days to get a water or a truckload of water in. Right. Doesn't take that long. No. Unless you're FEMA. And Unless then you can just drag your fucking feet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, basically, to, to recap that, though, um, it's almost predictable. Renewable energy. Cuba has been struggling with energy crises for decades, like since the fall of the Soviet Union, pretty much, because they can only purchase small amounts of oil from Venezuela, um, which I believe Mexico is now selling them oil as well. But that's not the point. Um Previously, they were only able to get it through Venezuela in small amounts, and then they have a very limited refinery capacity, and they can only refine diesel fuel. So there was no sort of green anything going on. Um, you know, they were still basically trying to stretch their Soviet economy as thin as they could. Um, cybersecurity has been a huge issue. Um, well, I mean, realistically, globally, but... I mean, Cuba's behind in technology, and therefore they're behind in cybersecurity by default. Right. Um, technology. I mean, China is at the forefront. China is... <laughs> I'm going to reiterate. China is at the forefront of technology. And on the flip side of that, Cuba, ironically enough, is on the forefront of biotech. So, I mean, the biotech capacity might be all that Cuba really has to offer, but that encompasses so much. We're not just talking about basic things like vaccines, um, but we're talking about, you know, disease research. We're talking about uh, cancer vaccines, um, right. which we still don't have here in the U.S. Cuba has a vaccine for lung cancer because it was considered a priority because so many tobaccos like ingrained in their culture, right? So naturally they have high rates of lung cancer and um, the vaccine seems to be doing a pretty good job at, you know, curtailing that. Um, yeah. Anyway, I mean, you know, like that's one of the things that we here say can't be done pretty much, but right. It's like, really? 90 miles <laughs> off the coast, there's a country that don't got a lot of money, but they got a hell of a lot of spirit. Right. And actually gave a shit to go, okay, this is a problem that we can solve. How about we develop the tech? Right. Look what happens when your goal is just improving people's health and not, is this profitable? Right. <laughs> and, I, and I mean, now that essentially Cuba is going to be able to like, design their own biotech instruments 
and then, you know, like freely trade them with China. That's going to be a game changer because right. right now they have to find somebody who's not affected by the embargo to custom make one very expensive piece of medical equipment and then hope it lasts forever. Right. Whereas if, if they design the stuff themselves, they can make it repairable, which is something that we don't do in the United States. If something's broken, it's broken, and you throw it away and buy a new one. Because consumerism. Right. You gotta fuel the economy, don't you know? Anyway. But um, I would also assume that they're going to open up more trade with China anyway as a result of this. Um, which all around, I think would be a good thing for, for both countries, really. Um, can you get, I, I mean, you know, like think about how well Cuban cigars would sell in China, for example. I mean, they have a lower tobacco use rate than we do, but they also have a lot of red tourism and like, Right. Commodified red things, I guess, you know, because they are, uh, they, they do have capital, right? And the, the capitalists have to do something to get the communist masses to buy their goods. So, you know, advertise, you know, these are the cigars that Fidel and Chase smoked and they're going to fly off the fucking shelves. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said advertise, but not really, not really advertise because I don't think they do that like we do here. Right. It would just be labeled made in Cuba, grown in Cuba, <laughs> and people would know. And to be fair, they're pretty tasty. I have tried some Cuban cigars and they're dope. Yeah, I'm not much of a cigar guy, but. I'm pretty Whenever, picky. They gotta be smooth flavored, not that stinky shit. Right. Well, and coffee like. too. Oh my god, I wish I could get my hands on actual Cuban coffee. I mean, I can get my hands on Cuban roasted coffee, but it's not the same. <laughs> not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, because that's that's what's great about coffee, right? You like where it grows adds to its flavor. Right, the nutrients sure. in the ground. And I think that's part of why Cuban coffee is so highly revered. Um, it has to do with the ground composition, I think. And I mean, there's, there's other places that also sell really good coffee. Peru, mm -hmm. that's, that's mostly what I've been uh, drinking lately is Peruvian uh, coffee. Because I can buy it in bulk for cheap and it's organic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's super good, but I think it's because of the soil composition. Anyway, I'm totally going off topic here. Point is Cuba could sell coffee on a global market. Cuba could sell cigars on a global market as well as, you know, like they can ramp back up production. The only reason the production ramped back down so hard is because of the special period of the fall of the Soviet Union. So, you know, if they have green energy, right, they can, do, they can do stuff with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I really hope to see, because I know that China has uh, put a lot of research 
into solar desalination, right? And Cuba is an island nation. It's surrounded by seawater. I, I mean, there should never be a water shortage in Cuba, especially with rising sea levels. Um, so I would, I would hope to see, uh, I would hope to think that that would be lumped in under renewable energy, but we'll see. Um, but that's just like the preliminary game plan too. I mean, we don't know how they might fine tune it. I mean, we're talking about two communist parties, like, Hey, how can we help these people? Right. Two very innovative ones at that. So curious to see what all they come up with. Curious. Doing a desalination project would help so much with making sure that everybody has, you know, fresh, clean drinking water. Well, right, yeah, and I mean, irrigation water, too. Cuba's had some mm -hmm. drought issues. Um, right. They that also had some hurricane issues. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, okay, and here's the thing, though. Like, maybe it's just our level of preparedness versus theirs, but, like, they got hit by... Oh, God damn it. What was the name of the storm? The one that hit New Orleans this year. Oh, shit. Like on the anniversary of the Katrina landing and everything. What the hell? We did I a whole piece on it. I know. Leave it to stoners to have a brain fart like this. We're, and neither of us fucking remember. We're useless. We're bad with names. Ida. Hurricane Ida. Okay. That big bitch. Um, so they, Cuba got hit by Hurricane Ida as a Cat 2, I think. Um, and, and I mean, okay, so like obviously that's not the same as being hit by a Cat 4, right? But there was like no deaths, no injuries. They evacuated a whole lot more area than they needed to just to be safe. Right. Point is, there was no deaths, no injuries, with 100-mile-an-hour winds whipping through, right? And part of the reason that they don't flood, like, well, I, I guess to be fair, New Orleans is its own fucking thing. I'm not even going to try to dissect that right now. But part of the reason that Cuba doesn't have flooding and runoff issues like we do is because the revolution, like, tripled the tree cover. Yeah. That's a lot of roots holding the ground together. Yep. Makes a huge difference when it comes to is your land going to wash the fuck away in this storm? Right. Most of our coastline, though, is overly developed. Of like, yeah. no, we never have beaches and they're like covered in hotels and, you know beachfront houses and then we can truck some sand in to fill it in every couple of months and try to keep the beach still there. That's what they do in South Florida. They just keep trucking more sand in from elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not sustainable either. Not at all.
So I do got a little bit of a video to watch here, if that's cool with you. Awesome. Um, this is going to transition us into uh, the labor shortage. Wage shortage? Yes. <laughs> the capitalists don't want to pay motherfuckers for their labor shortage? Right. From the heartland to Hollywood, from coal miners to healthcare workers to film crews. We begin tonight with the increasing number of American workers prepared to walk off the job. 10,000 John Deere workers officially went on strike today. They are part of the growing number nationwide of employees demanding better working conditions and wages, especially with inflation on the rise. The John Deere strike, just the latest by an emboldened labor movement and workers who want a greater share of record pandemic profits in some industries. On Monday, 24,000 Kaiser Permanent Permanente workers in California authorized a strike. And we've been tracking that coal mine strike in Alabama for a while now. Workers walked off the job seven months ago. So what comes next? And can workers all across the country get what they're looking for? Our Terry Moran leads us off tonight. In the wee hours of Thursday morning, 10,000 workers at John Deere hit the picket lines in Iowa, Illinois, and Kansas on strike for the first time in 35 years at Deere. They're demanding better pay, secure pensions, a fair share of a hugely profitable American company. The company wants to eliminate pensions altogether for new people, and we refuse to sell people down the road like that. Sounds like it's about sticking together. Yes, it's about ways. sticking together now and for the people that come after us and about better pay. Yes, absolutely. The company, their profits have just been through the roof. Workers argue that even as John Deere's profits grew by 61% in recent years and their CEO's salary grew by 160% during the pandemic, their pay has actually been cut. We need to let them know that they can continue to take our money and take our money and take our money. It's day one of this fight, but the women and men here on the picket line, the people who build those iconic green John Deere farm vehicles, they're bracing for a long strike. American workers want more, and they're willing to strike to get it. In Brookwood, Alabama, striking coal miners rally every Wednesday. Every union in this country owes something to coal miners. Bolstered by their motto, one day longer. So I stand by you one day longer, one day stronger. But those days have turned into months, seven months now. We knew it was going to be a struggle and a fight. Braxton Wright is one of the roughly 1,000 workers who left the coal mines and joined the picket lines after failing to reach a deal with mine owner, Warrior Met Coal. Larry Spencer is the union vice president involved in the negotiations. Did you think that here in October and heading into the fall, you'd still be here? Did, or did you think that it was going to get resolved? I did think we would get something settled before now. And uh, it's, it just seems to be getting worse. I would like to say this part. They, they might think they're going to break these people's spirit, but they're not. Braxton's wife, Hayden, helps run a supply pantry for strike families. And they're already stocking up on Christmas presents. 
This is the first coal miner strike the town has seen in four decades. The miners in Brookwood are demanding an increase in wages and benefits that had been cut back in 2016 when Warrior Met Coal's mine was struggling. Now times are good. We're not even asking for more. We're asking for close to what we lost five years ago. And Braxton, like so many American workers, feels the significance of this moment. I believe the uh, the labor movement in the United States is is growing, but I think a lot of them are watching us because they know if we lose this fight, they're next. Nationwide, more and more workers are flexing their collective muscles, seeking to rebalance the old equation between bosses and workers. Decades of declining wages for the workers and skyrocketing executive pay. It's kind of the David and Goliath fight right now. Last week, 1,400 Kellogg cereal workers launched strikes in Tennessee, Nebraska, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. This is a, a simple matter of fact that the, the rich want to get richer. And, and to do that, they take away from the small guys. In California and Oregon, 24,000 nurses and other health care workers at Kaiser Permanente voted to authorize a strike over pay and working conditions. Listen to those and numbers. Soon, Hollywood may see a walkout. Roughly 60,000 film and TV workers are getting their picket signs ready, set to go on strike on Monday. That if did it not happens, happen. It would be the first... That did not happen, just for the record. Um, but a lot of the people in the union were not happy about it, and it still could happen, but it has not yet. Nationwide strike in that powerful union's history and could bring Hollywood to a halt. We have some members in our crafts that are so underpaid that they can't possibly survive in the cities where they provide services. The workers at John Deere voted overwhelmingly to reject a contract that their own union, the United Auto Workers, had negotiated with management. There was a pretty blatant attack on our benefits. They want us to pay more for our benefits. Strikes, which had almost disappeared in America, are back. We're, we're looking at levels of strike activity that are comparable to the mid-80s, which no one says is, you know, the heyday of, you know, working class fighting. But on the other hand, it's been decades since we've seen this much activity. Jonah Furman is a staff writer for Labor Notes. He's been covering every twist and turn of the John Deere negotiations. The deal that workers rejected at John Deere offered a 5% raise in the first year of the contract, not what workers expected from a company that estimates it will make $5.9 billion in profits in 2021. This is really not a case of the company uh, being squeezed and the workers wanting to, you know, get a bigger piece of the pie. There really is a bigger pie here. But going out on strike is such a hard decision to make and a risky one. Unions do not take strikes lightly. It really is a last resort. Heidi Sheerholz, the chief economist at the Department of Labor during the Obama administration, says companies have long had the upper hand. And over the years, they've successfully lobbied to change the laws in Washington to weaken American unions. It's scary to walk off the line. One of the things is an employer has right now, under current labor law, the right to hire permanent replacements. And so if once the strike is over, if an employer has hired a permanent replacement, what the, the, the person who went on strike has to sort of go to the back of the line. Companies are pushing back publicly against all this strike activity. A Kellogg spokesperson saying their proposals have been 
quote, grossly misrepresented by the union. Being away from work puts our people and their families in a difficult position and can create financial hardships. And John Deere releasing a statement to ABC News reading in part, John Deere is committed to a favorable outcome for everyone involved and is committed to reach an agreement with the UAW that would put every employee in a better economic position and continue to make them the highest paid employees in the agriculture and construction industries. Our immediate concern is meeting the needs of our customers. And in a statement to ABC News, Warrior Met Cole wrote in part, we remain steadfast in our belief that the eight proposals given to the union are fair and equitable. Warrior Met Coal provides some of the highest paying jobs in Alabama. But on the growing number of picket lines in Brookwood, in Moline, and across America, it's about more than money. It's about respect. So, yeah. I mean, I, I felt like it was a pretty decent video to kind of sum it up. Of course, you know, it kind of has some liberal mindset in there, but they're even kind of starting to bring a class analysis to it. The big guys right. are always taken from the little guys. The, the rich want to get richer. These are things being said on mainstream TV right now. It's actually kind of surprising. Right, like, well, they, they allowed you to say that. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Especially even pointing out, like, the pie is literally getting bigger, so why aren't the people producing that pie getting more? That 5% raise is bullshit in comparison to the... That 5% raise doesn't even keep up with inflation. Nope, nope. For the last one year. So it would literally be taking a pay cut... Right. No wonder they said fuck no. I don't blame them. No. No, not at all. Um, so, while the video was on, McCoe messaged me. Yep, he messaged me too. Yeah. Um, he uh, hasn't you wanna... seen my reply yet. Gotcha. Do you have the link to send him? Um, I did send it to him oh, gotcha. earlier. Okay. Cool. But, uh, oh, he just read my message. So let's see if he's still able to hop in. If so, that would be awesome. So and I'm going to show one more, not uh, another 10 minute video, obviously. Um, but I'm going to... Oh, hey. Sounds like he's here. Right on. Yep. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Are you muted? Can't hear That's weird. It's not even showing me a volume slider on his like it is on yours and mine. Blue screen froze to a signal might be low. Yeah. Um, 
I seem to have lost the video that I wanted to show. Um, but there, there are literally hundreds of ships um, at the at the ports all around, uh, all around the world, really, that are backed up. We're talking hundreds of ships backed up at each port. Um, and Joe Biden acts like the L.A. port being open 24 hours a day is going to miraculously fix that. It is not. It is nowhere near enough. Um, that's like, you know, an aquarium springing a leak and trying to put a Band-Aid on it. Right. That's never going to hold. Never going to hold. Um, so be, be mindful of this when you are, you know, preparing for things that you want to order for. I mean, they, they stress Christmas, but things that you might need in general. Right. Um, these supply chain issues are getting worse and worse, and it's for random things mostly right now. But, you know, like, I mean, I, I got my guitar amp back from the shop today, and the guy was talking about how he's been waiting forever for parts, things that usually arrive in a week are taking, you know, four or five months to show up. And this is just the beginning of it actually affecting. And then when we actually do unload these ships... And get the stuff into the warehouses. Well, now those warehouses are full. So where's the shit from the port going to go if we don't have truckers to take it from warehouses to distribution centers or grocery stores or your front door or whatever? It's almost as if these companies should, I don't know, give the people working in these warehouses and driving the trucks a raise. In a right, which, I mean, they, they have been. I mean, they've been offering more and more money, but it's still crumbs in, in the grand scheme of things. Right. Um, it's not enough, or they would have the labor. <coughs> right. And just to be clear, a raise doesn't cover it. A raise, a stake in the company, an equal share of profits, an equal, you know, share of the wealth they're actually producing. And better and working conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Across the board. Um, warehouses are miserable. I can only imagine how miserable port work is. Um, and I mean, trucking, I, I mean, the, the health issues that come from sitting that long, um, you know, being away from home for potentially weeks at a time. Um, it, it's just showing how unsustainable our current supply chains are. Yeah. Which, I mean, there's been a lot of people warning about that for years. Well, people didn't want to listen until it actually impacted their ability to buy shit. And now they're tripping about Christmas presents when this has much more capacity to actually impact people's ability to survive when it comes down to once these ripples start hitting the food supply and things like that. Right now, we're talking about car parts or guitar parts and things like that. What about when it hits, or hits the shit that you actually fucking need to survive? Right. Which I mean, I, I mean, obviously that's not going to be produce yet, but I was talking to you, I think it was yesterday or the day before or something about uh, how here in Arizona, we're cutting agricultural water supplies first and our first ever water restrictions Right, instead of golf courses or like being like, hey, don't fucking water your lawn 
or right you're in the desert you don't need a lawn and fuck your golf course that should be a food forest exactly um, agriculture is the one place where we should not be cutting water access right now because we actually need food right and i mean golf courses <clears throat> right right exactly um and and i mean you know like this is one of the places in this on this rock, I guess, where we can actually grow food year-round, and we're totally fucking that up. Um, right. And, and, I mean, it's not like we just make food that's consumed in Arizona, but I don't know about you guys, but, like, you go to the grocery store and you see empty fucking shelves, which is also almost humorous, you know, people like, Houston supermarket with Venezuela vibes. No, dude, this is capitalism, right. yeah. not communism. Right. Right. Don't you dare point at a problem caused by capitalism and try to be like, this is what socialism must be like. No. <laughs> right. Wrecked fucking result of capitalist exploitation. Right. And I mean, like, it, it's been affecting, I work in food service. I'm sure you all probably know this. Um, but it's been affecting, like, whether we can get cups or to go containers. Right. And I mean, like we had to take steak off the menu because at the price point that we had it at, it's just not at all profitable. And we're not going to take a loss to sell a chunk of meat. And we weren't even selling like good steaks. We're selling like sirloins. Oh, God. And it's too expensive to keep on the menu at $15 for four sliders, which is a steak or 14 or no, $13 for the sliders and $14 for the meal. Like and, the dude, yeah. and that's at a fucking private club, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And like, really, like, if anybody could afford to pay a higher price point on their steak, it's the members of that club. Right, right. Which I mean, honestly, yeah. the this the the quality of the steaks that we've been getting because we kept getting cheaper and cheaper stuff, trying to just keep it on the menu, so the members didn't. Come Plane, but it's just not happening. Yeah. And I mean, food prices I don't are know. exploding. What? Food prices are fucking exploding. Yeah. And I mean, if 2020's inflation was 5.4%, what is 2021's going to be like? Because this year I've seen it in real life at the grocery store. Right. <clears throat> I'm ready for Makona. Where did he go? I don't know. <laughs> um. Also, um, I don't know if we're going to... I believe the plan is still for us to help co-host it, but um, Left Signal Boost is doing a um, Lefties Award Show, right? Which is more or less for fun. The idea is to expose each other to other leftist content. Um, a whole bunch of th the nominations are closed. Voting is about to open. That's going to take place in the left signal boost Facebook, uh, group. And, um, well, we're up for a couple, I forget which ones exactly. Um, but there's, there's a whole bunch, uh, familiar 
channels on there. Rev Left Radio, for example, they're nominated for a couple. Um, Nakoa's back. This is good news. Right on. Hello. Hey, greetings. Hey. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. I can. Yeah. Great. So uh, we rock about the anniversary of the Battle of the Wabash. Which is coming up. Yes. So, right. This was, um, you know, this was an effort by what they called the Western Confederacy, was mostly Algonquin peoples who united to um, try to push the colonists out of their land or at least uh, prevent further westward expansion. <clears throat> and so, um, at that time, the British were still here, and their offer was to turn, like, like Michigan to, like, Tennessee, basically, into, like, a giant uh, reservation, which would stop westward expansion. So the Algonquins um, believed that to be their best chance at stopping expansion so um one of the things I've seen from this that because i want to focus on points that are still relevant um what makes this relevant to modern time um they used a crescent moon <clears throat> pattern to surround troops and this is still one of the most militarily superior um patterns to move and to strike from <clears throat> yeah. um you'll even see modern armies tend to do this with setting an ambush um right and one of the remarkable things about this battle is it wasn't as much uh wasn't as much bow and gun change as a lot of it was hand to hand so it must have really turned into like a three hour period of ha brutal hand to hand fighting um if you could imagine and the, the body count is a little different depending on who's telling the story ones in favor of the military seem to put it at about 12 at people that are more in favor of the indeed at about 1400 um <clears throat> so this at that time was a quarter of, of the u.s army and when they were defeated that it was so bad that the u.s decided to make a new army at that point in time so it was almost like as if they essentially defeated the U.S. Army. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, according so to Wikipedia, uh -huh. sorry, I was just gonna add on that. According to Wikipedia, it's the one of the most humiliating defeats that the U.S. Army has ever encountered. So that says a lot, yes. right there. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, and so I don't think they really want people to know that, you know. Um, right. It yeah, I've never heard about it. The story of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Right. So point number two that's still relevant <clears throat> is, um, you know, at the end of some of these battles, and you'll see what months they're in. Like, example, this one's in November in the north. So things militarily for us are dependent on the seasons because we don't have a standing army that perpetuates war all the time. That's a, that's a colonial thing. Um, indigenous peoples are more like agrarian cultures and they have to uh, take care of their families during the winter. They have seasonal responsibilities that prevent them from constantly making war like a colonist would. Number three is this relevant is the story of the unity involved. To politicize this, we should see that when we get together we win so this is overcoming the tribal barriers um, I talked before about um, how uh, Kwame too was uh, um, pointing out the limitations of tribalism um, and so this is an example of where indigenous peoples overcame that uh, to come together. And so looking at some of the greatest victories, because the other one is Little Bighorn, too. So let's just take those both real quick. And notice that these victories were made up of an indigenous alliance, if you will. Yeah. Um, so that's what that's what Elahi Spirit Runners are doing now, you know. Um, politically, it's not that complicated. There's there's a lot of reading involved, um, but there's something special going on at Elahi Spirit Runners. You should check it out. Another thing um, is that this reminds us that our ancestors fought back. Because they're, they're trying to get us to believe that our ancestors didn't fight back. And I, I even feel that way sometimes. When I look around, I'm like, dang, look at this mess I inherited, you know. And so I have to remind myself even, like, look at these times that our ancestors fought back. You know, um, this battle. Battle of the Wabash, that was like, they put everything they had in it. The leader before leading up to this, the Shawnee war chief, was called Cornstalk. And he said something like, oh, like, like, we, we must fight and we have the chance or something. And so it was, 
it was saying like you know commit commit to this effort um to remove the colonists and so um like the western confederacy threw down from like 1770 with cornstalk to like like teen open maybe with the battle of fallen timbers under to come rising to power during the battle of the wabash uh, and war chief little turtle and blue jacket were prominent during the wabash number six um, um betrayed us and closed us to politicize this i like just all the, all these betrayal right this pattern of of betrayal of the indigenous peoples and you know with alahi spirit runners and 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 this point in time in general it's another chance for for people of europe on the right side of history you know try to get some redemption so you got to get on the right team this time <laughs> you gotta pick the right team right and that's <clears throat> um but yeah that's basically the notes that i have um i've okay. been um, super you busy also... i'm overworked and yeah. was a good contribution um the only but, other thing uh, we're I was going to ask you to about celebrate was... the Battle of. Okay, go ahead. I, I thought you were done with the Battle of the Wabash, but yeah, go ahead. Mm. Um. Be, just to celebrate these major victories is is important. Um. And so we're trying that like uh. uh an annual thing. The is, um, they were the, the shoulders of the Three Fires Council. A lot of people don't, don't know that. And so, I mean, it's just like a, a really important thing to celebrate. And most people know about, um, Little Bighorn, but they don't know the Battle of the Wabash. Great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, in Messenger earlier, you also brought up, uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right, the Siletz River. Um, so I, I did a little oh, bit of Googling, yes. and I see that... Uh, yeah. Uh, they got they got some grant money. Uh, I'm going to call them reparations. When Trisha and I were talking about them earlier, that's how we were referring to them. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Um, what? Uh, forgive me. I'm so busy. Uh, what what was the money awarded and when? 
Uh, hold on, let me pull it back up. I have it in our chat right here. It was uh mostly about wetlands restor uh, restoration and water quality. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and it's quite a few tribes, actually. I was pleasantly surprised reading through this. Um, and there's a bunch of grants too, like ones. Uh, they're yeah, almost all a hundred thousand uh, dollars. And the each. other hold day, on, let me let me screen. Let me screenshot. Yeah, Oregon. Yeah, do you have the date on it, though? Oh, date. Sorry. That is October 28th. Um, um, so, yeah, that's really profound. Um, these, are, these are examples of how uh, radical action and how in, indigenous land defense works. Put pressure on these entities and sometimes we get them to buckle and we never get credit for it okay so in this in instance like i think elements that because i'm being monitored and because i'm so effective I'm, I'm not impotent like so many people have become i'm a threat and so they're watching this issue and they want to hit a pressure release valve okay political change requires force so we're trying to put as much pressure on it as we possibly can and they desperately want to hit the pressure release valve they don't want me to connect with the salmon nations and come over there and shut their whole highway down because they've seen how easy it was for me to do the first time so in the update that I've gotten is that we were actually successful at getting one of the sites to stop dumping, Good. which nice. is a little surprising because all of the, the, the softer attempts by tribal have failed up until now trying to work with the DEQ, trying to report um, pollution to, you know, the proper authorities, colonial authorities, people going to city hall and, and basically begging. And so, so it's, it's our writings the way we took over the highway, the purity of the politic, because you have to fight the urge to compromise. Okay? Yeah. Uh, the pure anti-colonial politic is so pure that in some countries it's the only thing they fear. Let's take India, for example. There's all kinds of resistance in India, but it's not until they go anti-colonial that, that the government is like, oh shit, we have to crack down major now. And it's because yeah. they don't they don't really fear watered down compromised politics and the US doesn't either. Why would they? Um, you know, so you had a group of tribal people that kept basically trying to kiss up to the oppressor and ask nicely for all these years. Nothing changed. We come in, threaten, shut down the highway, things start to change, then we make good on it. We risk our personal safety and we shut the way down, although it briefly, 
we demonstrated, you know, and, 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 and the odd thing about that is like, even the police were like, where's the rest of you? Like, and how did you pull this off? Like they expected me to have a mob of people up there. And then part of it was like, dang, why don't you have a mob of people up here? If it's for the salmon and you want, you know, it's almost like they were like, wanted me to, to really execute that with excellence. Um, which is, which is interesting, interesting to note, you know, um, and then we were left with this situation, like everybody here loves the salmon. So where does that leave us? You know? Yeah. Which, uh, one of the grants specifically mentioned, um, well, a lot of them mentioned the salmon, actually, but there is a $100,000 wetlands grant to the Confederated Tribes of Silence Indians for habitat improvements to help support juvenile salmon and lamprey. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so we would like to see, you know, funding go to the grassroot level too um because the tribal councils now is basically like a neo-colonial thing they were always set up to divide the people and they don't act in the interest of the traditional so although that's good and i hope that a department of natural resources uses it well help science aids them in that i'm still skeptical um which oh, is absolutely. why i would like people bolster grassroots indigenous efforts those are not the same is this something um, you would classify you know, as astroturf not necessarily i think it's more going to be more of a neo-colonial situation um, where they're going to want to make it look like, you know, people who look like us, we want, they're going to put like, you know, like a Obama or a Kamala Harris kind of situation. It's like that. It's, um, might even be like a little bit of a, a nationalist bourgeoisie kind of thing where they've made themselves a separate class, right? Either through right. education or through their proximity to the oppressor. Okay, so they don't always act in the interest of the land or, or um, yeah, the, the more poverty stricken amongst us. Um, I, and I, I hope they do. Um, that was more or less my so, thoughts on it, too, is I really hope that they do good things with it, but I'm always skeptical. Right. Right. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, I think they're hitting a pressure release valve on that one. 
And I think eventually could um, bring more technology into that area, which I don't know if it's good or bad, but I think that's how the colonists is going to choose to deal with this. Um, you know, some, some things that are tried and true that could be implemented are, are composting toilets. Yeah. And the reservation being that we are not a city government entity, we have our own thing going on, we could spearhead that effort in costing toilets. Whether we will have the back and the fortitude to do that, I don't know. I'm skeptical. Um, but this is where we could use our sovereignty to make some really revolutionary changes, uh, physical changes, not just merely symbolic change, but, um, you know, so that could eliminate millions of, uh, of the use for millions of gallons of fresh water. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I know some circles have been talking about this since 2012, and so it's really just time to, to implement it. To shit or, shit or get off the pot, no pun intended. There you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You only get to sit longer if it's one of those recycling toilets. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, All right. Well, um, I think that brings us to the end of our list. Um, I, I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to come on here and <clears throat> keep us up to date. And uh, really, yeah. your uh, perspective on it is a lot more in-depth than ours could be. So um, mm -hmm. I appreciate your insight whenever, whenever we get it, honestly. Same. Yeah, so I mean, the short of the Siletz River thing is that confrontation will get results. We could get almost right. immediate results. Right. Um, but people need a new pol political training and give you that at Ahi Spirit Runners. And people, people have to humble, humble themselves because there's ego and people think that they know. But you really have to humble up and learn from people who've made a lifestyle of it day in, day out for a decade. And then I got mentors that were higher than me. I have a mentor with like 40, 40 years of experience in, in major revolutionary parties. So, I don't know, just check it out. We got some good stuff We, we used to be able to, um, you know, before COVID started up, we were uh, changing wildlife policy almost at will, you know, 
and so it's not really it's not really like in our interest to reform but all the all those people could take note sometimes sometimes politics is like bargaining you feel me like yeah. and if you're bargaining with somebody you don't start low or start in the middle you start all the way in your favor as far as you can possibly go yeah okay Yep. Starting was, uh, from a compromised soon... position is just impotence in and of itself. Right. As soon Zhu said, um, is use normal use normal force to engage, use extraordinary force to overcome. So this promotes the confrontational politic. Anyway, thank you for right. your time, Red Power. <laughs> Thank you for your Thank time. Thank you. What is this? What is that noise? I don't know. I thought it was maybe your fan. Anyway, um, thank you all for joining us tonight. Um, we will be back next Tuesday. I guess we could go over the, the guests that we're going to be having on next yes. week. We might have two, two guests, uh, but we were going to have Brandon Ritchie back on. Uh, he was involved with cooperation Denton, uh, back when the power up, excuse me, power outages in Texas were happening. Um, and we will possibly also have on Joe McKenzie, a friend and comrade out in Australia, to talk with us about what's been going on out there with the anti-mandate protests that have been going on, the anti-vaxxers losing their sanity if they had any to begin with. Um, Temper tantrums. Yes, yes. That is causing a lot of havoc for everyone else out there. Um it's situations getting very complicated. So, um, so, so with, with Brandon, a little bit of that conversation is going to be about what he's doing now, because right now he's working for a charitable organization, um, helping people in need get healthcare, but we're going to be talking about, um, pros and cons, I guess, of, um, nonprofit charitable organizations, uh, shortcomings of charitable organizations, um, pros of mutual aid networks, but we're also going to talk a little bit about the process of getting these people healthcare and how it can be emulated by us on the left. Obviously the hard part is getting doctors to do it, doctors and nurses to do it for free. That's, that's the biggest hurdle to overcome. Um, anyway, yeah. So then with, uh, Joe, we're going to be talking about, uh, as Trisha just said, the anti-vax and anti-mandate people throwing temp temper tantrums in Australia to the point where like, it's made global headlines. I mean, it's, it's a pretty significant ongoing problem. Um, let's see the following week we will have will win back. Hell yes. The Star Trek communist. Did, did I get that right or did I skip somebody? 
I think that's right, isn't um, it? Yeah, yeah, because today's the first, so next week would be the eighth, and then he's on the sixteenth. Something like that. Yeah. I think next week's the ninth, but yeah, whatever. Ninth and then sixteenth, because a week is seven days. I know I was counting there like I'm off somewhere, but it's because today's Monday and we're pre-recording for Tuesday the second. That's why. Second, the ninth, and the sixteenth. Yep. Um, and then well, that's as far out as we'll announce right now. We should have more. Also, uh, if you would be so kind as to contribute to our Patreon, patreon.com slash for we are many. We are gearing up to finally do our first real movie watch along with our patrons. That's going to take place over Zoom. We have not set the date yet. Um, anybody who is a patron um, by whatever the air date is <laughs> will be welcome to join. Um, and it'll, and be, it'll a be a movie watch along, not like the one we before where we were all just having to watch it on our own streaming service with us doing it this way we can legally just screen share a movie to watch together so that way which which will be judas and the black messiah by the way yes yes this is one Um, we have been talking about a lot for quite a while and itching to actually get the opportunity to watch with you guys and have some one-on-one analysis on this because the situation is impactful and still so applicable to what's going on today and what needs to happen, what needs to change. Agreed. Um, until next time, friends, I think that's all I got. Indeed. Same. Can't think of Anything else other than keep your eyes open for some more segments coming your way soon for uh, Emma Goldman's Anarchism and Other Essays, Eldridge Cleaver's book, Soul on Ice. Uh, And there's a few more that we have up on deck that I think you'll be excited to check out, too. We'll get to that. I mean, first (laughs) and foremost, uh, Wretched of the Earth. Yes. We, 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 We started reading it, and then we put it right at the top of the list. Um, yes. It's been mentioned by Eldridge. It was mentioned by Bobby. Um, it's been mentioned a lot by Rev Life Radio. It was about time that we finally read it. Um, right. And even getting through chapter one, I was just like, oh my God, I love this. Because yeah. he's got <laughs> such a compelling way of putting things across to you that really puts yourself in the shoes of the colonized to really fucking understand how that feels. And that right there, that ability to empathize is the first step in understanding why we need to end colonialization, plain and simple across the fucking planet. I have nothing further to add. Um, I do. However, um, have a song I'm going to use as an outro thing today. Um, we wrote it back when Sterling was on the show. It was written shortly after November 6th, and it may have had some analysis of that <laughs> in the lyrics a little bit. Me. 
Um, <laughs> as well as me, like, but <laughs> yeah, but it did. Yeah. As well as uh, a lot of the things that we talk about on these streams all the time. Um, and I mean, also, if you're a metal, if you're a metalhead, you'll probably dig it. If you're not, I hope you do anyway. And if you're a little confused, wondering what happened November sixth, Rob meant to say January sixth. Oh my God, I did. <laughs> Election day, the Trump insurrection. It's the same thing, right? Roughly, yeah. I mean, January sixth was just them crying <laughs> about. We still don't believe that we didn't get enough votes. Oh, yeah, it's soft. The soft and weak. Can't handle. Uh, anyway, he, here is the untitled song that we currently call Flam Bam. <laughs> Have a good night. Let's open up this pit.